Can I read you something? Can I read you something? Is it okay if I read you something really quick? Psalms chapter 113. Hang with me. You guys stay right here because we're not done. Psalms chapter 113. In fact, the book of Psalms, in generally speaking, is this compilation of songs, really lyrics from those songs. In fact, much of the music that we sing today in our culture had its birthplace in the book of Psalms. At least the lyrics are found in many songs that we sing today. Everybody say lyrics. The, the bar lines in which notes are placed upon in our music today had its origin in the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms chapter 113 is this melodic expression of praise, this collaborative effort of praise, this corporate praise that broke out amongst the Hebrew culture when it was written. I need to read you something. Look what it says. It says, Psalms 113, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Hold on a second. The, the first service got this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Here this psalm starts out the same way that we just started out this worship set, if you will. By praising the name of the Lord. Can I tell you something? Praise is not connected to your defining characteristics. Praise is connected to whom you belong to. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It does not matter how much money is in your bank account. It does not matter where you were born. It does not matter what neighborhood you live in. But when praise comes out of your mouth, it is the one thing that happens that brings the body of Christ together as one. Praise ye the Lord. Lord have mercy. Somebody help me. Watch this. It gets better. Verse 2, let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all of the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God? Did you grab that? Who is like our God, the one who sits on the throne most high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Verse 7, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them in high places with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Then this verse ends the same way that it began. He says, praise the Lord. If you know that the Lord is worthy of praise, then somebody in this place, give him a praise that is worthy of his name. Come on, somebody. I'll stand. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Come on.
Now somebody give him praise one last time. I want you to give him a radical praise. Come on, somebody. Give him a praise like you mean it. Is that all you can do? Good Lord, have mercy. Help me out today. I feel the Lord in this place today. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. That liberty, that freedom exposes itself in the form of healing, in the form of breakthrough, in the form of second chances, in the form of restoration, in the form of grace, in the form of peace. Lord have mercy. So all of the qualities that the Bible talks about, in fact, it says are ours, yes and amen, are here. How many of you know what I'm talking about? They are here. Just be seated. Let's jump into what the Lord has for us today. Thank you, Carmen. Welcome to installment number one of our brand new series, Lyrics and Lines. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Lyrics and Lines. This series is going to be a study over the next few weeks, an exegetical study of several psalms so that we understand the context of the psalm, but we also understand its application for today. So today, what I want to do for you and with you, I'm going to give to you a word that God has given to me, but I need you to help me today because I believe this psalm is going to speak to us in so many ways. In fact, it's going to speak to all of us in some way. But I need you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of today's message, and that is Change the Pitch. Look at somebody else and say, Change the Pitch. Pitch is a musical term that denotes the frequency in which a note is played in order to create the sound that is pleasing to your ear. In other words, if a song is being played in a certain key and the person who is singing that song is either too sharp or too flat, it's going to make that song an unpleasant experience. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But the slightest pitch change can change the experience of that song. The slightest pitch change can change the experience of what you hear. In fact, let me illustrate this. Yanny or Laurel? This sound craze that's gone viral over the last several weeks, if your ear is attuned to a certain pitch, you hear one thing. If it's attuned to another pitch, you hear something else. If it's attuned to one pitch, you hear Yanny. If it's attuned to another pitch, you hear Laurel. How many of you hear Yanny? Some of you don't know what I'm even talking about. Well, Google it. How many of you wrongly hear Laurel? Yeah. Let me just go ahead and let you hear this. I I want you to hear this. Here it is. This is in one pitch. Just give it to me. Give it to me. Yanny. 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 One time. Yanny. Yanny. One time. (laughs) Say it again. I want to hear it again. One more time. Yanny. 
You hear that? Yui. How many of you Yui. hear something different besides even Yui? Yui. Does anyone hear Yammy? All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to increase the pitch for me just, just a little, and now listen to what you hear. Laurel. 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 Just one time, that's good. <laughs> so if you hear Yanny, your ears are tuned to one pitch. If you hear Laurel, it's attuned to another. I'm just saying that it is Yanny. You are wrong if you hear anything other than Yanny. No, it's Yanny and I have the mic. <laughs> so what <laughs> Y'all don't laugh at him. I'm gonna let him come finish this sermon. So so the more that the more that I thought about this concept, our auditory response to the pitch that we hear, I thought, you know what, when when there's a pitch change in life. It's not just the auditory qualities that are affected. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not just the auditory qualities that cause us to perceive what we have heard in the wrong way. Like, let me give you an example. If you're having a good day, you hear something one way. But if you're having a bad day and the stress has shown up in your life, you hear something totally different. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like you have a good day at work and you come home and your wife says, hey, baby, take the trash out if you would. You're like, yeah, I'll do that. You come home after a bad day and she says, hey, baby, take the trash out if you would. And you're like, what? I ain't doing that. Don't talk to me like that. Because you've heard something, perceived something, because the pitch change in life, if you will, from the exposure to your day has caused you to interpret something in a way that it was not meant to be interpreted. Are you with me? Let me prove this to you textually. Look at your neighbor and say he's going somewhere. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus has the disciples gathered in the upper room. It is the last supper. It is the last night that the disciples and Jesus will have together. Jesus begins to convey to the disciples what is going to unfold in their lives, especially in his life, over the next several hours. That conversation spills out of the upper room, goes with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's facing this incredible stress. In fact, the Bible says that he was so stressed out awaiting the crucifixion that he sweat droplets of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. So here is Jesus telling Judas that you will betray me. Here is Jesus telling Peter that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Here is Jesus outlining for them the horrific death that they will experience. There has been a pitch change in life for the disciples. They are hearing something for the first time that they were not expecting to hear. They went into the upper room celebrating the Passover, but now all of a sudden there is a pitch change. There's a Yanny versus Laurel situation, not only for the disciples, but also for Jesus. In fact, let me read you something beginning in Mark chapter 14. 
Pick it up in verse 22. Here's what it says. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take this. This is my body. Now understand something. This is a preemptive communion service. This is a prophetic announcement about what is about to happen, the suffering that Jesus will endure. Look what happens next. It says, then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Hold on a second. When the disciples hear this for the first time, you have to know that they're wigging out. You have to know that they went into the upper room in one state of mind, but now their state of mind has been somewhat twisted. The pitch has changed in their lives. Now it's the darkest moment of their lives. It's the darkest moment in the life of Christ. Everything before this moment was how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God but then after this moment it's how bad is our problems sing with me how bad There's been a pitch change. The darkness of life has surrounded them. The sound of life has changed for them. What will they do? How will they respond to the pitch change of life? Let me show you something. In verse 26, it shows us their response. This is what's really cool. I need you to see this. Verse 26, it says this. It says, when they had sung a hymn... They went out to the Mount of Olives. Hold on a second. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Can I teach for a minute? Can I teach for a minute? Is that okay? When they had sung a hymn, I've read this verse hundreds of times. But this week when I was preparing for this message, it jumped off the pages at me in a way that it never has. It shows us the humanity of Christ. When they heard this news, they broke into a hymn. Hold on a second. Most theologians agree that this was not Jesus coming to the front of the room, getting behind the podium and saying to the crowd, if you would, please grab your hymnals and turn with me to the wonderful hymn 425, and we're going to sing the first, second, and fourth stanza of this wonderful song. That's not what it was. In fact, most theologians believe that this was a praise service. In fact, the theologians all agree that this is the moment that they broke into something that is called the Halil. The Halil is this cluster of psalms that expresses jubilation. More so than that, the word Halil in the Hebrew means to praise. It, it, means, it means to have a jubilant praise. It means to have thanksgiving. Halil is the root word for our word hallelujah. 
Here they are in the darkest hours of their lives, Brian, the darkest moment, the darkest cloud is hovering over them, but yet they break into a jubilant praise. Let me give you a little more information, more probably than you've bargained for, but it's certainly worthy of noting. The Halil is a cluster of six psalms that are grouped together in the book of psalms. They are usually sung, worshipped to, when you celebrate the Passover. It was something that you would do corporately. And that is what Jesus and the disciples have been doing. So this only stands to reason that they are singing the Halil, if you will, when they get together at this moment. Do you know what chapter in Psalms the Halil begins with? Chapter 113, the psalm that we, ran to be, we read to begin with. How did it start out? Look at Psalms 113, verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Hang on a second. In the darkest moment of the life of Christ, the lives of the disciples, Jesus lifted up his hands in front of everyone and he began to sing, praise the Lord. Praise him, all ye servants of the Lord. Praise him from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Praise ye the Lord. You're not grabbing this. Let me help you with it. When Jesus was at the darkest moments of his life, what was his portion? What was his, his go-to? What was, what was his practice? What gave him sustenance? It was Psalms chapter 113. It was when he opened up his arms, he looked towards heaven and he said, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye all ye servants of the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Praise ye the Lord. Hold on a second. I, I, I think you ought to be excited about that because here is Christ showing us his humanity in a moment of brokenness when all of the disciples are not sure what's going on. There's murmuring all around the room. They're like, we didn't know this was going to happen. This can't happen. I just don't agree with what Jesus was saying. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Peter's saying, I'm never going to deny him. All of this stuff is happening. And Jesus gathers the, the disciples back together. And he says, he begins to sing, praise ye the Lord. Praise him all, the servants of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Praise ye the Lord. He's showing us that it really doesn't matter what's happening in our lives. That when we feel like we're out of control with life, we go to what we know is true. Praise ye the Lord. Here is Jesus facing the pressing of Gethsemane walking towards the hill called Calvary, and he begins to sing, Praise ye the Lord. Praise him all, ye servants of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, Praise ye the Lord. So the Holy Spirit dropped something in my lap. And that's this. Calamity is interrupted by eternity when praise is our response. Lord have mercy. Did you grab that? Calamity is interrupted by eternity 
when praise is our response. Let me say it this way. Jesus used praise as preparation for the pressing. Mm. Hold on a second. Think about where he's going. He's on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's called the place of pressing. Jesus used praise in preparation for the pressing. Jesus went to Psalms chapter 113. That was his go-to song. That was his go-to rhyme. That was the thing that caused his spirit to be lifted up. Can I ask you something? What is your go-to when all of hell is breaking out in your life? What is your go-to? Because here is Jesus praising the Lord, showing us that we should call upon the name of the Lord no matter what is happening. When you feel like life is out of control, here is Jesus saying, you know what? When I think life is out of control, I go to what I know is true. And what I know is true is that even though I feel like I'm out of control, I know that God has not lost track of me. I don't know who this is for, but somebody in this place, you need to hear this. You need to begin to distinguish between what's happening in life when the pitch of life begins to change you don't need to lose focus of what you know is true because that's what Jesus was doing he said Jesus he said the Lord God is my helper praise the Lord the Lord God makes a way where there seems to be no way praise the Lord the Lord God is my warrior in the midst of the battle praise the Lord the Lord God is my sustenance praise the Lord the Lord God is my water in the midst of a dry season praise the Lord the Lord God makes a way where there seems to be no way praise the Lord the Lord God he was saying to the disciples when the wind is blowing against you it does not mean he is not with you it does mean that he is for you so he began to praise the Lord so that he could calm the nerves of the disciples he began to praise the name of the Lord the disciples are sitting around saying man this can't happen this their their nerves he changes the pitch he resets the pitch and he begins to point them back towards God Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That verse says, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Praise his holy name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Praise ye the Lord. Go to verses 4 and 5. I want to show them something. Verses 4 and 5. It says, the Lord is exalted over all of the nations. Think about this. Grab this. This is the darkest moment. This is a teaching moment. This is a brokenness of spirit moment. And he says, the Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above is above the heavens. Who is like our God? Huh. The one who sits on the throne. What he's saying to to the disciples is that God is in control. That God has the world in the palm of his hands. There is no one who's like our God. And when you feel like all hope is gone, you need to understand that the giver of hope is beginning to put things together on your behalf. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and her righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. Where's your hope? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest name, 
but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Where's your trust? Praise the Lord. They're gathered together in the upper room. They're all looking at one another, not sure because the pitch in life has just changed. And now he's resetting the pitch. But let me give you a side note. Go back to verse 2. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Praise him, all you servants of the Lord. Do you know what that means? That means if you are a servant of the Lord, you have all the more reason to praise him. Why? Because you have the honor of partnering with him to bring heaven to earth. Mm, Lord, have mercy. That means if you're on the camera, you ought to be praising God. That means if you're on the stage, you ought to be praising God. If you're on the worship team, you ought to be praising God. If you're an usher, you ought to be praising God. If you pay your tithes, if you're a tithe giver, if you're generous, you ought to be praising God. If you invite someone to church, you ought to be praising God. If you're an usher, you ought to be praising God. If you're a parking lot attendant, you ought to be praising God. If you're a host, you ought to be praising God. If you're a nursery worker, we all ought to be praising God. says, so praise him from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same. Do you know what he's saying right there? He's saying every single day when you go through the day, as you go through the day, you will see more reasons to praise him. And when Jesus is singing this, he's saying to the disciples that he'll hold you in your sorrow. He'll defend you in your difficulty. He'll embrace you in the storm. And Jesus is singing this hymn on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Holy Spirit gave me something. Let me give it to you right here. here, here's, here write this down. I don't know if it's in your notes or not, but write this down. Could it be that our praise gives us a heavenly perspective on what the pitch or life should sound like. Grab that. Could it be that our praise gives us a heavenly perspective on what the sound of life should sound like? What the pitch should sound like? Because think about this. Why does the psalmist say five times in three verses to praise the Lord? He doesn't say complain to the Lord, fuss to the Lord, get angry to the Lord. No, he says, praise the Lord. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Say it again, praise the Lord. Somebody say, change the pitch. I don't know who needs to hear this, but somebody needs to hear this. You need to stop projecting your weaknesses onto God. Mm, can I get an amen and hello or something? You need to stop projecting your weaknesses onto God. Just because you're powerless does not mean he is because he's all-powerful. Just because you're broke does not mean he is because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Just because you are confused does not mean he is because he's in control. He sits on the throne. Lord, have mercy. Just because you're broken does not mean he is because he's the God of restoration. So think about this psalm in the context of how Jesus applied it in Mark chapter 14. Here is Jesus... Uh, Judas is about to betray him. 
Peter is going to deny him. All of the people are going to turn their backs on him. And then he has to face the most horrific death. But somehow he begins to sing, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what he's saying? Praise the Lord. You may deny me, but God never will. Praise the Lord. You may not like me, but God does. Praise the Lord. I may not know how to get through this, but God does. Praise the Lord. I might not have gotten that job, but praise the Lord. God's got a better one for me. You might hear what the enemy says, but it's praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because I know what God has declared over my life. So somebody needs to change the pitch in your life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mm. Can I take a few more minutes? I'm going to anyway. Verse 6 is powerful. I I, I need to show you something. I wasn't going to do this, but I need to show you. Anyway, here's what verse 6 says. It says, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Hold on a second. He's giving us the qualities of God who stoops down and looks on the heavens and the earth. I did some research on this verse. There are two types of looks. If you were to take this particular scripture and go over to Luke chapter 10 and apply it to the Good Samaritan story, you would have a better understanding of what he stoops down and looks means. Because there was this man who was left on the side of the road who had been robbed and was left for dead. And the Bible says a priest and a Levite walked by him and looked at him, but yet passed him by. And then it says a Samaritan came up on him and looked at him, but stooped down. And begin to pick him up. Hold on a second. He not only looked at him, but the response to his look brought about the action of help. That's what God does. He doesn't just look at you in your brokenness, but yet he stoops down to lift you up and to help you. And Then Jesus, when he's singing this, He has to realize, hold on a second, this part of the psalm is prophetic. Because look at verses 7 and 8. Show me verses 7 and 8. It says this, verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. Here we go. It says, now imagine Jesus singing this, all of the disciples singing this. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the prince, the princes of his people. Hold on a second. When Jesus is singing this, this thing becomes prophetic. Why? Because Jesus is singing this and he realizes that God is about to lift him up from the dust of the grave and set him in a high place. And what you need to understand is that God just does not come and stoop down to help those who are who are poor in spirit. But he also comes to help those who are on a heap of ashes because their dreams seem to be gone. 
He came to help us because the, the brokenness in our lives has caused us to believe something about ourselves that God never declared over our lives. And what you need to understand is that everything that you see in life is the result of the Creator's hand. He placed the stars in the sky. Everything that you see, but yet God is consumed with little old me. So in verse 9, imagine Jesus singing this. He settles the childless woman in her home. Some of your translations say the barren woman. There's all types of barrenness. As a happy mother of children, praise the Lord. Hold on a second. Here, God stoops to help us. Here is Jesus singing this on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the darkest moments of his life, he is singing, praise the Lord. Praise him, all ye servants of the Lord. Do you know why? Because he realizes how his father works. He realizes that even though he's about to face the cross, that the grace of God is about to flood on the scene and give him the ability to endure it. And what you need to understand is that is how the gospel works. That's the way the gospel works. You see, we don't praise God because we fixed our situation. We don't praise God because we were able to order our steps. We don't praise God because we love God. We praise God because he first loved loved us. We don't praise God because we ran to him. We praise God because he ran to us. Good God Almighty. Somebody needs to get up on your feet and begin to give God praise because he stooped so that he could help us. That is the gospel because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 9 says, it ends the same way that it began. Praise the Lord. It's, it's what we would call completing the circle. When the psalmist ended that psalm, he pointed them back to praising the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, what gives you the ability to change the pitch in your life when life's not going according to your plan it's when you begin to focus on what you know is true when you begin to focus on praise ye the Lord. Praise him all ye servants of the Lord. Lift up his name from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Praise ye the Lord. If you want to change the pitch, praise ye the Lord. If you want to get past that difficulty, praise ye the Lord. If you're having a bad day, praise ye the Lord. If you're going through something, praise ye the Lord. If the situation in your life is greater than you, praise ye the Lord. Change the pitch. Change the pitch. Change the pitch. Look at your neighbor and say, change the pitch. 